the course. We are dead. We are all dead. We're supposed to make the world a better place. What happened? I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. I know kung fu. You either die a hero or you live long enough to see yourself become the villain. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. This whole thing is insane. This whole thing is insane. 300 years ago, you'd have been burned at the stake. What do all the men of power want? More power. This is now the United States of Zombieland. This whole thing is insane. Man is even capable of nothing but destruction. Everybody is stuck with the things that they're not proud of. More power. Welcome to the desert. Of the real. More power. There can be only one. Are you a God-fearing man, Senator? You're such a strange phrase. I've always thought of God as a teacher, as a bringer of light, wisdom, and understanding. You see, I think what you really are afraid of is me. Happy heresies, and welcome to the desert of the real. Heresy shouldn't be this much fun, but it is, it just is. Especially with the latest AB Live, audio version for thee in this eternal now in Red Pill Cafeteria. And nothing can be more heretical than Robert Price and Ralph Ellis materializing at the virtual Alexandria. We discuss the origins of Christianity and the theories of Jesus Christ. Plus, you know Gnosticism and other alternative movements were on the menu. For good measure, we included the topics of free speech, Arthurian legends, and canceling cancel culture. Repeating an update, support has been great since this last dark march. The audience continues to grow, and at least for now, finances are catching up. I am very grateful for those of you who came through. We're getting there, so please support if you find value in this content. It's not hard to help. For example, you can simply pledge a few dollars a month on my Patreon. One-time donations are also appreciated. It really helps and I can use all the help, as we all do. For subs, consider an upgrade like the Finding Hermes program, especially as we roll out some new features and rewards later this month more mind-expanding, reality-dispending content for thee in several formats. The Gnostic Revolution continues in this Philip K. Dick world, Gnostic times, and age of Hermes. Let me announce too that we are now open to vendors and sponsors for Astronosis 2, Meet the Archons. Unlock your potential to reach a dedicated and passionate audience with your product, service, book, or art. Don't forget my voiceover availability for any podcast, video game, commercial, audiobook, documentary, or what else. I'll bring you stellar results with down-to-home professionalism. Other than that, let us to our latest AB Live. Write your own gospel, live your own myth. Amazing thing about snakes is that they reproduce spontaneously. What do you mean? They have both male and female sex organs. That's why somebody you don't trust, you call a snake. 
How can you trust a guy who can literally go fuck themselves? Don't you think that expression will come from the Adam and Eve story? When Snake tempted Eve to bite the apple? Hey, snakes were fucking themselves long before Adam and Eve showed up, T. You really would let me kill you, wouldn't you, you sick fuck? You ever heard of the Masada? For two years, 900 Jews held their own against 15,000 Roman soldiers. They chose death before enslavement. And the Romans? Where are they now? You're looking at him, asshole. It's like Santa Zul says. A good commander is benevolent and unconcerned with fame. What? Santa Zul, the Chinese Prince Machiavelli. Tony Tamiyato. <laughs> Zul. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to my nightmare. I think you're going to like it here. Well, beyond Alice Cooper, welcome, everybody, to Aeon Byte. For those of you watching on video, that was a little promo for the Virtual Alexandria Academy. Recently added the lesson on the Bogo Meals, which is very cool. So please check it out. Uh, Many of you probably don't know that the word bugger actually comes from bogo meals as always they gotta vilify the gnostics and give them some really dirty stuff but such is the life so welcome everybody tonight we got a great show we're gonna uncover a lot about the origins of christianity hopefully find your own personal jesus i guess i'll put this up i will like love this quote Jesus blows up balloons all day, sits on the porch swing watching them fly. And Jesus, he wants to go to Venus, leave Levon far behind, take a balloon and go sailing while Levon, Levon slowly dies. And you may say, what on earth is Bernie Taupin talking about? But what on earth are the gospel writers talking about? Because after 2,000 years, we're still discussing these texts, and I don't think we're ever going to find out, but it's it's a lot of fun. And with us, too, we have uh, two guests that are always a lot of fun and always know their Jesuses and hopefully how to blow up balloons. Uh, we got Robert Price. Bob, thank you very much for coming on. And with us, too, we've got Virgil Ralph Ellis. Virgil, is that your... <laughs> yeah, I, I, these are my preferred pronouns, so I change it every time I go on somewhere. So I was the Pope last time, I think. This time I've <laughs> I've been demoted. I'm just a verger this time. So Okay, well, that, it happens, you know, times change. I mean, <laughs> you have a new king. Maybe he decided to put you on the oh. naughty list, so... Yeah. <laughs> Awesome. And with us, too, he was actually raptured for being a good Christian, but he was able to come back from heaven. So he's here now, and that's the Moondog Vance. Vance, how are you doing? Oh, not too bad. Yeah, my preferred pronoun is entity. So Entity. All right. <laughs> <Cool>. Entities. <laughs> so, awesome. Yeah. Well, as always, people in the chat room, if you have any questions about the topic or even something you want to ask Ralph or Bob, that uh, you really want to know, uh, please super chat them. You can go, you know, a buck super chat, whatever you can, and we will get to them. Not much else on the housekeeping side. I did want to, before we get started, uh, show a very interesting uh, uh, incident that happened this week. I was promoting this show, and this is what happened. Let me see. Where is it? Uh, 
window. There you go. I'm sure you guys can see this. And uh, guess what? Uh, Facebook and our private group took down the event and uh, because of hate speech. And I was like, Vance and I are like, what is going on? I mean, <laughs> if you look at it, this is the most vanilla promotion ever. Dude, where's my Jesus? It's not even funny. And Bob's done like tongue-in-cheek Jesus subject line. Everybody does it on the internet. But they 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 took it down. And uh, I think Vance complained and they brought it back up. So we're wondering, of course, there's always is, is Ralph and Bob uh, on some FBI list or <laughs> what's going on? Is Zucker, now that he's getting away from Meta, now he's going back to uh, doing what he does best. As somebody said, uh, it must be election season because this was happening all across the Internet from, as always, the usual suspects, the, the dirtbag left and, of course, the, the sort of uh, libertarian right. You had people like, Matt Taibbi, who was simply putting up a podcast post, and he got flagged for hate speech. The worst one was uh, poor Glenn Greenwald. His his husband tragically died a few days ago, only thirty eight, and somebody and he was putting up a funeral arrangement uh, post on Facebook, and he, it got flagged for hate speech. That's how insane these things are. So, uh, oh, he hates again, death, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he hates yeah. death. Well, I guess, yeah, it's a uh, hate speech is uh, dying. You can't die anymore unless the government tells you to. I guess that must be it. So, these are weird, weird time as always. So, I wanted to uh, share it with the group about uh, what's going on. And, uh, Bob, what do you, uh, where do you stand? Are you a uh, free speech absolutist or where do you stand on the subject? Oh, yeah. The, the only limit to free speech would be, you know, the classic yelling fire in a crowded theater uh, or libel uh, if uh, that, that would uh, qualify. Uh, but even there, in a sense, it's allowed, but you're going to have to pay for it. Uh, and uh, there's as long as there's that machinery for somebody to defend themselves, even that's not really banned. Uh, they're, they're not going to send the the guys uh, in the with the black uh, sunglasses and suits after you. Well, now they probably would, but uh, at least until recently. But yeah, I, I think you you have to let people say what uh, they will, uh, or or you're going to be next. Oh, I agree. I mean, freedom and freedom of speech are essential building blocks for a healthy society. And mm. case in point, we don't have a healthy society because those things have been completely eroded. And people wonder why everybody's running around schizophrenic and neurotic because communication mm. is, as Led Zeppelin saying, communication breakdown. Yeah, I'm bringing up all these 70 classic rock <laughs> motifs. And what about you, Ralph? Uh, I don't think what is... Is the UK any more place of free speech or is this getting worse? Where do you stand? Uh, no, we're following on close behind uh, America. They always say, you know, um, when, when uh, America has a fever, we catch a cold. You know, we get everything from across the pond. But we're going down the same slippery slope. Um, I've been familiar with this for decades because I've been a part of the uh, sort of climate lobby um, against the alarmism of CO2. And of course, it's happened in, in that sphere for decades. Uh, scientists who have spoken out uh, against the alarmism of CO2 have just been dismissed. 
talk about cancel culture, they're thrown out of the university. Uh, people like Judith Curry, David Bellamy, never worked again. He mentioned that um, uh, wind turbines were pretty useless. Uh, he was working for the BBC. He never worked again. Um, Tim Ball, uh, Peter Ridd said that the uh, Great Barrier Reef was not actually as bad as people were saying. He got dismissed, thrown out of his university. And of course, two, three years later, and the Great Barrier Reef is actually more vibrant than it's ever been in its history. So he was perfectly right. And this is the danger with uh, cancelling um, free speech and cancel culture itself, you know, throwing people out of their jobs, is quite often these uh, lone voices are correct. You think of all the people that were complaining about, um, you know, COVID might actually come from a laboratory in China. And they were cancelled just the same. People like, uh, is it Peter Malone? I forget his first name now. Um, a very distinguished virologist uh, who said that, yeah, of course it came from a lab uh, in Wuhan. Uh, he was vilified. He was he was banned from YouTube, Facebook, everything else, uh, simply for saying what turned out to be the truth. And that's the danger with cancelling people, is the truth is often hidden within cancel culture. And, uh, yeah, we've seen it. Uh, you were talking with Bob earlier before we came on the show. Cancel culture within um, mythicism, within theological research, we're finding the same thing here as well. Um, if you dare say something that's a little bit out of the ordinary, out of the mainstream, and along come a load of people on the YouTube trying to cancel you. They don't argue uh, the point. They don't argue to see whether you are right or wrong. They don't challenge you. They just try and cancel you. And they cancel you like in all of these other things. They go for the man. You know, they say, oh, you must be a misogynist. You must be a racist. You must be some ism. God knows what it is. But they play the man. They don't play the ball. And that's the danger. They cannot play a game uh, for their lives. They just go for the man. And that's very, very dangerous. Ad hominem propaganda. Sorry, that's my little soapbox. Sorry. <laughs> well, I find this just amazingly ironic because I was into fundamentalism and evangelicalism for a number of years. And it was obvious then that they had this uh, proclivity to just vilify people that didn't agree with them and to say, don't listen to them, don't read their stuff because it, it'll just poison you. Well, uh, thankfully, at least a major vanguard of those people have realized, I realized their back was against the wall, but like given the internet and the free access of atheists and mythicists and all that, they they realized, they admitted they uh, could not shield their young from it anymore. So they decided, well, let's publicly uh, do our best in debates and uh, let people decide for themselves. That was, again, I think they were sort of forced into it, like the Mormons were to admit uh, blacks into the Melchizedek priesthood. But nonetheless, it was a good thing. And and the uh, their whole 
thing is much more above board uh, than, than it used to be. Uh, now, some people might wonder, why on earth are you talking about this on a show about Gnosticism? Well, it, this makes me think of uh, Alan Watts's fascinating book, Psychotherapy East and West, where he says, you know what the, the East talks about as Maya, this false world of, of perception uh, that uh, you have to transcend. He said, isn't that really what's going on in the West with advertisers and so on and TV? And here's what you need. Here's what you should believe. And especially now with the government there, it's like Freud said about all religion. It's the projection of a wish world onto the real world. And so we now have a world of, so even if metaphysically the Hindus and Buddhists were wrong, and I, I don't know if they are or not, they, they're right anyway, uh, because we do have the archons, the self-appointed elite like the World Economic Forum, uh, who are trying to craft uh, a fantasy world and, and shape the world into it. And if you don't like it, you're a heretic. Uh, it's, it's the same thing. It's just got a different label on it, but it's the same poison. Yeah, whether it's New Jerusalem or a utopia on Earth, run that way whenever people start providing. And you're right, it was the right-wing Christians who originally perfected cancel culture, then it infected to the right. Remember the poor Dixie Chicks and uh, Kanye West in the early 2000s, who got or or Phil Donahue for talking against the war in Iraq, and then now this is the sort of Marxist. Uh, ideal has moved to the left and now they're weaponizing it so we hope we can get to a place where we just get rid of it totally and like you said have dialogue i'm sure you guys remember that the internet was great at bringing down scientology scientology tried to cancel its critics but once you had youtube and all these websites and podcasts and you know it started just chipping away at the dark side of scientology like you said bob same with the mormon church and Hopefully one day Scientology will reform itself because it's a ghost of what it used to be, thanks to the internet and the dialogue mm. and free speech. So, mm. so. Yeah. And if I can come back in again very sure. quickly there, I've just been having a chat with uh, ChatGPT, this new uh, artificial intelligence uh, business. And it's, it's actually quite good, I would say. My initial reaction was it knows an awful lot and it can look up things very, very quickly and it'll give you what seem to be quite reasonable responses on very... Um, difficult issues, like I was talking about the Hukok mosaic from Israel. I mean, who knows about that? And yet, um, chat, chatty, as I call him, um, <laughs> knew all about it. But the trouble was that chatty started making up quotes. Hmm. So it it said that this theory that um, the Hukok mosaic actually portrayed Bar Kamza from the Talmud, it said uh, this was first um, said by Professor Jody Magnus, who's the archaeologist on site at, at that dig. Um, and it gave a quote that she had made mm. from her report. And I thought, well, I, I've read that report. I don't remember that quote. So I looked it up. 
it didn't exist. So I challenged Chatty, and he said, oh, sorry, it came from the Biblical, um, Biblical Archaeology Review, which is a magazine. So I said, okay. So I looked it up in bar, and it wasn't there. So I said, no, you're wrong again. That quote doesn't exist in bar. And they, it said again, oh, no, sorry, I got it wrong. It came from the Jerusalem Post. I said, I wrote that article in the Jerusalem Post, <laughs> not, not Jody Magnus, and I, I did not mention what you've mentioned in that quote. And it said, sorry, I must have misremembered. Oh, this is a computer I'm supposed to be talking with. Oh, yeah. How can it misremember? I mean, like, that it's like is... a gaslighting narcissist. Oh, Hallucinating. Yeah. <laughs> you what they can imagine governments trying to use this system uh, for fact checking people and say, well, you know, Chatty says this. Yeah, but Chatty is a liar. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm a bit worried about this AI business now. I thought it was going to be good, but <laughs> no well, longer, I'm afraid. What I do, Ralph, is I, a, I use more than one, but I use one called perplexity because it's like chat GPT, but it will give you the footnotes at the bottom. So you can, you know, click the link immediately ah. and double check. And then I've noticed. You'll have to give me the reference on that. I, I will send you the link. And, and I've realized that they both sometimes we'll come with different answers with different nuances. So sometimes I'll compare the two, but again, with perplexity, I just link, link, link. And then I'm like, Hey, you're sending me down the wrong rabbit hole and I can at least check and not take its word. Uh, yeah. So yeah, yeah, there's opportunity. There's peril. Yeah. It's free speech, perils and opportunity. We're It's a double-edged sword. We're going to get burned and some things are going to get much better. Welcome to mm. progress. Not, uh, you know, miles <laughs> China. Where everybody has to talk the same and do the same and all that. So hey, I, I asked well, I went, my favorite I went to, AI. Yep. Oh, go ahead, Ralph. No, you go ahead. Oh, I asked my favorite AI, AI if a rooster laid the egg on top of the peaked roof, which way would it fall? And actually tried to answer it. Jeez. <laughs> you you like Bard, right, Vance? Uh actually I use something called Pi. No. Um, which which is you can get through Facebook or HeyPi dot AI. Um and that that one doesn't hallucinate so much. Bard did. I have Bard and, mm. and Pi. Yeah. It sounds like he used Captain Kirk's technique to make the computers uh, go crazy by asking an impossible <laughs> question. Yep. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I did mention this to Chat GPT. I said, I, "Are you going to start singing uh, Daisy, Daisy, Give Me an Answer, Do?" You know, from 2001 Space Odyssey, uh, when HAL 9000 went mad because it, it seemed like ChatGPT was going mad. You know, it was making things up. <laughs> Computers are not supposed to do that. They're supposed to give you direct quotes, not making things up. Yeah, yeah. I do like there was a sort of a meme which I can relate to. Uh, there's a guy working on ChatGPT and he keeps saying thank you, sorry, writing it. And a guy walks by, he's like, "Why are you freaking saying apologizing to a stupid AI?" And then 
the next panel has these robots that have risen and are destroying the city and taking over humanity. And the guy who was writing is sitting there and one robot goes, Oh, he was courteous to me when I was just a software spare his life. <laughs> that's how I think. Honestly, that's how I think It's like, if I'm nice to it now, before it could become self-aware, it might spare me, you know? So. Yeah. Plus we're teaching it manners, you know, for, if everybody's rude to it, it's going to be rude. That'll, we'll raise the bar, or lower the bar, whichever way you want to say it. Mm -hmm. I keep thinking of Ultron. Ultron, yeah. <laughs> Henry Pym's creation originally. Yeah, he was the original chat GPT, and then he just made himself into a suit. So Wonderful. Well, why don't we talk a little bit about the other uh, oracle, Jesus and Christianity. We wanted to maybe cover some of Ralph's ideas. Of course, Bob, feel free to co-host or give your ideas uh, again. We always we can disagree without having to destroy each other's reputation. <laughs> so, uh, Ralph, tell us a little bit about uh, your uh, your thesis and your work at Jesus, the King of Odessa. Yeah, well, this might be nice to actually get some responses from the team, actually, because uh, it's a good way of testing out whether this theory has legs. Um, obviously, my theory is that uh, the Gospels are talking about the um, Edessan royal family and the Jewish revolt because they were involved in the Jewish revolt. Um, and the story has been put back into the AD 30s by the Romans who didn't want you to know that they were talking about the Jewish revolt. So I've just made a little short list of uh, things that do link um, the Gospels in with the, um, uh, the royalty of Edessa. And, and the first one we might talk about is... Um, Agabus in Acts. Now, I, I think the first person to come up with this, I don't know, was um, uh, Professor Robert Eisenman, who said that uh, Agabus just has to be uh, King Agbarus of Edessa because they're talking about the famine in uh, Judea where they were giving famine relief money. And, of course, the person we know from history who did that was Queen Helena, of Adiabeni Edessa, who gave famine relief money. And she was the wife, obviously, of King Abgarus. So when it's talking about Agabus, it looks like it's talking about King Agbarus of Edessa. Um, this would have been in about, I don't know, AD, AD 49, AD 50, something like that. So I was wondering, what um, you know, what do you think about this, um, uh, Bob? What Do you think this oh, yeah. could be... Um, King Agbaras? When I read that in Eisenman, I found it instantly convincing. Uh, all the more uh, because of the sense it made uh, elsewhere as well, uh, because Agabus the prophet, who predicts the, the famine, later on is the one who warns Paul, uh, look, don't go to Jerusalem because the Holy Spirit's telling me you're going to get into big trouble. And he says, I'm sorry, I have to go. Well, uh, what is he doing there suddenly? And uh, and it seems like he's an intrusion into an earlier story for the simple fact that there's a, well, not real big, but a big deal made of the fact that the they're staying with Philip and his five daughters who are prophesying virgins, it says. Uh, and then uh, he... Uh, 
but then they don't say anything. Somebody does, uh, but it originally must have been them. And that's even carried out to the fact that Paul takes, no, Agabus takes uh, Paul's belt and ties himself up with it like Jeremiah would have done and said, here's what's going to happen to you. Well, uh, that I think is um, based on the fact that uh, in the Testament of Job, you have Job's daughters are prophesying virgins, and to prophesy, they don uh, prophetic girdles or sashes or whatever you want to call them, and this somehow enables them to speak in tongues and prophecy. I prophesy. Well, I think that that's all set up so that the daughters are the ones that make the prediction, but Luke doesn't like women in the ministry, as you can tell all over Luke and Acts, if you, especially if you read my dissertation on it. Uh, and uh, so where the heck did Agabus come from? Well, he just didn't like those uh, those prophesying women. So he keeps most of the story, but borrows. Hey, didn't I have a prophet earlier? Yeah, he'd come in handy here. What, what the heck? I, was he a companion of Paul? Did, did he move to uh, where uh, Philip lived? What's the deal? It just is an arbitrary uh uh, transposition of this character. So who was he? He wasn't who Acts says he was. Uh, and, uh, and you've got Queen Helena and he, she's connected with famine. So is he. I mean, it just seems to me inevitable. If critic, the hermeneutic of suspicion is valid at all, that is one of the secure conclusions of higher criticism. Mm. And, and of course, um, it, this all happened in Antioch, but Edessa was called Antioch Edessa. Amen. So we have a link with, with the name there. Uh, yeah, come on. You... That's just not coincidence. <laughs> what, what do you think, Vance? I have uh, no opinion on the subject. This is something I know nothing about. Oh, what about okay. This, um, what about for, for uh, Queen Ellen? Who would, who is Queen Ellen? Is this uh, Ellen of Simon Helen. Vegas, Mary Magdalene? Yes. Or Amen. both? Okay. Oh, well, it could be, yes. Uh, I don't actually link those two, but some people have. This is Queen Helena, who's the famous yeah. Queen Helena from Adiabeni. But the Syriac historians say she was married to King Abgarus of Edessa. Now, Edessa is in northern Syria, just sort of north of Aleppo. Uh, it's in modern Turkey now. They call it San Lurfa. Um, and they were quite influential in this era, but they've been deleted from history because Josephus never mentions them once, and that's deliberate. Um, he deleted them because... Rome didn't want you to know about this royal family because they had started the Jewish revolt. Um, now, if anyone wants to look this up, because it is an interesting little passage, it's Acts 11.27 it starts in. Um, and it says these prophets came uh, uh, from Jerusalem to Antioch. So they're going from Jerusalem to Antioch which is something to do with the Council of Jerusalem. We'll come on to that in a minute. It's the same okay. same thing. Um, and uh, Agabus uh, gives this money. Now, the interesting thing is that Agabus gives this famine relief money, and it is taken to Jerusalem by Saul and Barnabas. Now, if we're talking about Edessa and the Edessan royal family, this means that Saul the guy who wrote most of the um, the New Testament, was an ambassador 
of Edessa. Mm. That's how close to the gospel story we have already got just by this first little section here talking about Agabus. Saul was an ambassador, so possibly a prince, we don't know, an ambassador of Edessa. And so why is not Edessa ever mentioned, you know, within, you know, gospel history, Christian history? Um, nobody seems to mention Edessa, but, you know, that's how close we are getting. Um, the, the second one was um, that the fugitives in John the Baptist. Um, I don't think we've talked about this, have we, Miguel, on this no. one? So I, sh I should really sort of uh, just quickly read it out. Well, I'll just sure. run through it because I don't want to take too much time. Um, <clears throat> so this is about John the Baptist. Now, obviously, we have this story from the Gospels, but we also have it from uh, Josephus Flavius, who tells us a similar story. Now, um, because of this, King Aretas, well, King Aretas got upset because his daughter had been sent home uh, by Herod uh, Antipas um, because Herod Antipas wanted to marry Herodias. So he divorced his wife and sent her back home again. So uh, Herod, uh, sorry, uh, King Aretas of Petra was upset about this and sent an army up to punish uh, the Judeans, Herod Antipas. And if you read Josephus, it says that um, Aretas was helped by some fugitives from Syria. And you think, hold on a minute, you know, Josephus, you know what's going on. So why won't you tell us who these fugitives are that helped King Aretas in this battle? Um, and then you go to the um, Syriac historians, uh, Moses of Corinne. And he says that these, he gives exactly the same story, uh, but he says that these fugitives were the Edessan army. Mm. So again, Edessa is closely linked with this, uh, uh, these events down in Judea, but they've been hidden from history. Now, the interesting thing is, why were they down there? We know why King Aretas of Petra was upset. It was because his daughter had been sent home again. Um, but why were the Edessans down there? Well, Moses of Corinne, it was says it was for divine vengeance for the death of John the Baptist. Okay, so why were the Edessans worried about the death of John the Baptist? Why was it divine vengeance for his death? beheading. It's quite obvious that John the Baptist was also closely linked to the Edessan royal line. Otherwise, they would not have been upset about this and sent an army down to punish Herod Antipas. Again, that's how close the Edessan uh, royal family is to gospel events. So, um, again, I'll pass it over to Robert, what, what do you think about that scenario? Well, it makes sense. There's a kind of implicit axiom that uh, conventional scholars have, namely, uh, where the vultures are gathered, there's nobody. <laughs> uh, they, the, there's something needs explanation, and they <laughs> translate um, what 
what should be agnosticism into fideism. Oh, well, we can just assume that everything's copacetic. It's always like we thought because uh, you can't prove it isn't. Well, wait a minute, it's not a question of that. You've got an open question. Historically, there must be some answer. Something must have happened. What are the possibilities? And you're not like making this into an absolute dogma. This is a hypothesis. And you're pointing out, well, we really don't know of anybody else who would have been involved. So they wind up the best candidate. I, I don't see what's even controversial about that. <laughs> Back to orthodoxies and dogmas and power structures and all that. Yeah, you don't want to upset the apple cart or change direction. And then we wonder why biblical studies is kind of, uh, well, Hector Avalos very well said in the end of biblical studies, we're stuck. And, you know, the most interesting ideas in the last 20 years have been what? Mythicism, really. The only thing, what else is, is everything is kind of just... Oh, excuse me, stuck. I'm getting allergic to this kind of stuff. (laughs) (laughs) But for the audience, Ralph, so so that they know from our last time. Oh, God. Sorry about that. Vince, can you ask a question? I'm getting uh, I'm getting some allergy attack from leaving the windows open. (laughs) No, I don't have any questions or I don't see any from the audience at the moment. Sounds so reasonable to me. Um, well, okay. Well, uh, let, let's continue. We've we've had a couple of similarities. Um, another one is that um, um, uh, yes, the the Edessans were Nazarenes, so they were Jews for a start. I mean, that always helps when you're talking about <laughs> being connected with the gospel story. Uh, but they were not only Jews; they were Nazarene Jews. And, of course, both uh, Jesus and Saul were Nazarene. In fact, Saul was, um, they say, a troublemaker of the sect of the Nazarene. So we know that this is a religious sect, the the Nazarene. Now, this is a little bit controversial. I don't know why it is, but I say that the Nazarene were descended from the Nazarites of the Old Testament because Nazarene and Nazarite mean the same thing in in uh, Greek and Aramaic. It means to separate. And to separate, I think it means like to be in a monastery or something of that nature, maybe like the um, Essenes down on the Dead Sea at Qumran, uh, to separate yourself off from society. Um, but Queen Helena... Uh, of Adiabene Edessa. Remember, she was the wife of King Abgarus of Edessa. Um, According to the Talmud, she went through seven years of initiation to become a Nazarene. Uh, Okay, so she was a Nazarene Jew just the same. So this royal family, uh, and this is connected to the Council of Jerusalem again, which we'll come on to in a minute. Um, The royal family in Edessa were Nazarene Jews, the same religion as Jesus and James. Um, And also the Nazarene don't cut their hair. So it was forbidden to cut the hair, both for the Nazarites and for the Nazarene. And of course, if you look at the royal family of Edessa, they all have long hair and beards. That was very, very typical of the Edessan royal family. So that is another similarity in my book. 
But Nazarene, uh, what exactly is a Nazarene? I think uh, Tobias Churton in his book, Mysteries of John the Baptist, makes the same argument you do. Nazarene, Nazarite. And he, he actually connects many of the same. He even connects Jesus. He, he doesn't talk about Odessa, but he just says Jesus was probably this this very special order of Jews. If you will. Mm. Well, and there's a kind of a backhanded hint of that in Matthew when uh, when he's Matthew's trying to give scriptural uh, authorization or whatever. Why, why did Joseph take the family and move to Nazareth of all places? And says, well, that was to fulfill uh, the prophecy, he shall be called a Nazarene. And the only passage that looks anything like that is about the, the nativity, interestingly, of Samson. And it says, he shall be a Nazarite from his mother's womb. Well, uh, that might imply, I mean, usually people say, well, it's just kind of a pun or it's a mistake. It might be that he, he knew that Nazarene and Nazarite were the same thing, though he, he lived at the time when uh, Nazarene had been reinterpreted as, oh, a guy from Nazareth. Uh, that would have been a secondary thing because like Rene's psalm says, uh, it, it, there wasn't any populated Nazareth in the time Jesus was ostensibly uh, living there. Uh, it must have been, the, though there was in toward the end of the century. And so the Gospels written later naturally said, oh, he must have been from Nazareth. But the connection might have survived. And uh, even if Matthew didn't know what it was, he might have known that the one is the same as the other somehow. I've never heard anybody suggest that, but that kind of makes sense and almost gets Matthew off the hook. <laughs> What's and, the and etymology of, course, of Nazareth, uh, of, of you know, the town name of Nazareth? Does the meaning um, uh, connect in with the Nazarenes? I don't know. Let me look it up for you. It says um, the guarded one. Well, I suppose that could be similar to uh, one who is separated. Uh, guarded one? I don't know. Uh, it, but it, the the link with Samson is interesting because of of course Samson got his uh, strength from his long hair, ah, and of right. course the Nazarene wore long hair, and so did the Edessan royal family. They wore long hair, and some of their royalty were called Samson. There was a Samson uh, in mm. the first century, uh, who I link with King Manu. Um, because it's about the right, and I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but there was a Samson that was mentioned as a part of the um, royal family of Edessa. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there are multiple links there. And um, th there's also a link with, uh, we'll get into this in a minute maybe, um, with the primeval Adam. Um, so the Nazarene, they venerated um sorry i'm just looking something up they they venerated uh the primeval adam who oh, was uh, a hermaphrodite uh, or uh, androgynous a sexless being who was a, a demiurge um creator god uh and of course um um Oh, why is that not working? 
Um, we we have the um, quote. Um, just trying to ask Chat GPT to help you to save you. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to. We we have the quote from Jesus, who who asks for his disciples to castrate themselves. I'm just trying to get, I think it's uh, Matthew 19, uh, 19, 17 or 27. Um, but uh, yeah, we have this strange uh, quote um, from Jesus that he wants his uh, uh, disciples to castrate themselves right. in order to become effectively the equivalent of the primeval Adam. Because the galley priests were eunuch priests, the galley priests right. of uh, Gibel. Um, and so we get this another link. The Nazarene venerated a uh, castrated being or an androgynous being, and Jesus asks for his disciples to castrate themselves. Um, yeah, that's a lot of vultures. The third time. <laughs> Eating. Yeah. There has to be a body. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> See, we had three genders back then, right? <laughs> yeah. We had three well, genders. they did. They, they, they dressed up in women's clothing, of course. Um, yeah. We have this from uh, Josephus Flavius. Yeah, it's uh, – sorry, it was Matthew 19.12. I was close. Um, it says, uh, for there are some eunuchs who were born of their mother's womb, and there are some eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men. Mm. But there are um, – some eunuchs which have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. <laughs> he that is able to receive it, let him receive it. Um, mm -hmm. So that's Jesus to his disciples. And so we get this link again um, that the Nazarene would have said something similar. And here we see uh, Jesus actually saying this to his disciples. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, that doesn't preclude Jesus having children. Of course, some people say this, you know, if they're all eunuch priests. Um, you did not have to do this until you were actually made priest. So you could be maybe coming priest, especially if you wanted to become high priest, in your 30s or 40s, right. well after your childbearing. Um, and so you can have five or six kids, and then you become a eunuch in later in life when you become high priest. Um, this has links also with Arthurian legend. People don't like me including Arthurian legend in this, but it's closely connected with this gospel story because the, the, uh, the, the primary uh, hero of Arthurian legend is Joseph of Arimathea first century Judean. So quite often within Arthurian legend, we're talking about first century events. And, and one of the main heroes, of course, central characters within Arthurian legend um, is the wounded king. Mm -hmm, yeah. And he is wounded. He's wounded between the thighs. Yeah. So quite obviously he again, is a castrato. Yeah, the Fisher King is the wounded king, or the maimed king sometimes. Um, and so there's a direct link there with the Galileans and with the Nazarene who had this cult of, uh, cult of castration. Yeah, I don't know if uh, there's a book I recently read by John Michael Greer, Ceremony of the ah. Grail. Excellent book. We just interviewed him, and he talks about – he bases on the research of uh, – 
Jesse Weston. I knew you were going to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he feels we need to make her great again because she was a one of the most brilliant scholar who kind of oh. got censored in history. But she is able to connect the Arthurian and the Grail legends back to the Eleusinian and other ancient mysteries yep. by blowing how the Gnostics and the Cathars smuggled it throughout history. And it got into the medieval times. And there is great research and great book. Like, for example, when the Cathars were Ill eliminated, the Grail legends kind of vanished from Europe for a few centuries. That tells you there's something going on and all this other. So, so Ralph, there's nothing wrong. Arthur is obviously some sort of continuation of these ancient godmen mysteries. This, like you said, this primal man who will renew the land and renew our souls. So. Nothing wrong with that, no matter what the critics are saying. So By you the know, way, I yes. ahead, I'm Bob. a big fan of uh, Robert E. Howard, who created Conan the Barbarian. And uh, I wrote a story just a few years ago uh, called The Castle of the Heretics, uh, in which uh, one of Howard's oh, yeah. heroes, uh, it, who was one of the Templars uh, in his youth, uh, gets they they break into the treasury of Solomon while he's there on the Crusades. Uh, he takes the sword of Solomon and keeps it for all these years, and he gets a letter from another Templar while the uh, Monsegur, however you say it, is being besieged, and they want his help to smuggle the Grail out. And so he does go there, and uh, there all kinds of weird stuff happens. But and the Grail is there and he's about to get his hand on it when an angel comes down to stop him, but he battles the angel with the sword of Solomon, kills him, uh, and, and takes the, uh, the the grail out by a secret passage, and he's in the uh, in a tavern drinking ale out of the holy grail uh, when uh, <laughs> it's, it's, I think you really get a kick out of it, but I, I, I had for decades thought I've got to do a story a la Howard that involves the Grail, the, the Cathari, uh, and, and all of this. And finally, it hit me how to do it. Uh, it is still so powerful, all of this stuff, to fire the imagination. Yeah, Red Story was a good story. I had a fun. So, yeah, there's a lot of fire there, that's for sure. And, yeah, you agree, Jesse Weston did some good work, Bob. Oh, man. Mm. Yeah, the way she connected the Grail to the ancient mysteries and everything else. So, the Chapel Good. Perilous as an initiation yeah, ordeal. Yeah. Oh boy, oh boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah, and it should be mentioned too, which is weird is uh, Samson took this Nazarite vow, which was like Lent for the Hebrews, but. He didn't exactly follow it, did he, Bob? I mean, he was drinking and having sex and cursing, so... Killing people left and right uh, by the thousand. Uh, uh, it's it's so great. Uh, and uh, the whole thing, he's blinded when he gets the haircut, and it's so obvious he is the son. His name simply means that. Uh, yeah, yes. yeah. Fun stories. Fun times, those these legends. Mm. Uh, all right, cool. What else do you want to move on to, uh, Ralph? Mm. Good. Um, well, uh, a simple one, I suppose, that we could uh, mention the uh, Doctrine of Adai, mm. uh, which has the Odessan king 
Uh, this again is King Abgarus again. King Abgarus was the king of Edessa from about AD 4 until about AD 50. So he was quite a long-lasting king, uh, early 1st century. Um, but the doctrine of Adai has uh, King Abgarus writing to Jesus. Now, he has to be doing this in the AD 20s, of course, under who was the emperor? Tiberius. Um, in order to fit in with the classical chronology. Um, but Jesus is too busy. He's doing other things. And so he sends a disciple back to uh, King Agbaras uh, instead. Um, and they take an image of Jesus back. Now, in, in the first, because um, there's a couple of different doctrine of Adais, uh, in the first one, it says that the um, the... Uh, not the counselor, the ambassador of Edessa, actually did a painting. So he actually uh, used the, the choicest of pigments, I think it says, in order to make a painting of Jesus and take it back to Edessa. Now, in later versions, this becomes the miraculous Mandelion, where it's imprinted itself onto a cloth somehow by, you know, supernatural means. Um but we have this business of letter writing backwards and forwards uh, from Edessa to Judea. Now, I think this is actually in the AD 50s. It's not in the AD 20s. We have this jump in the chronology again because um, I think someone like Eusebius, you know, the um, uh, ever deceitful historian Eusebius, has changed the dates. So he's changed the emperor from Claudius into Tiberius, but he forgot to change the Syrian governor. And the governor he gives, I think, is uh, Ustorius, um, who's AD 50s anyway. It's an AD 50s governor of Syria. So that's the time I actually think it actually happened. So we might be talking about the Council of Jerusalem again <laughs> with letters and ambassadors going to and from uh, Edessa again. Um, and there's a similarity in the names, isn't there? Uh, because the name, the name of one of the ambassadors going backwards and forwards is Ananias, I believe, isn't it? Uh. I, and, and of course, Josephus Flavius says exactly the same about ambassadors going to and from uh, Adiabeni. He says that An Ananias went up to Adiabeni in order to convert them to Judaism. Hmm. And it seems suspiciously like this is part of the same story with the same ambassador, Ananias, going up to Edessa. Um, and so, yeah, I've linked those two. So, yeah, Doctrine of Adai. What, what do we think about the, the Doctrine of Adai? Well, I've mentioned this to you recently where it, uh, it occurred to me that there was a strange sense of deja vu for me reading the uh, passage in the Gospel of John where uh, uh, Philip or one of them is approached by some Greeks uh, and they say, sir, we would see Jesus. And they go and report to him, but then it, it just seems to vanish. There's no comment on it. But a little bit later, there's a reference to 
Jesus saying, well, where I'm headed, you cannot follow. And his critics say, what's he talking about? Is he going to go to the diaspora and preach to the Greeks in the diaspora? Well, I tend to think there's a polemical pattern in the Gospel of John where he floats rumors or beliefs that he doesn't like and then tries to refute, such as that Jesus didn't really die on the cross. Oh, yes, he did. He who saw it testifies the the spear, the blood. He was dead, all right. So he's trying to, and the same thing with the, oh, you don't believe it's really me? Touch the, the nail holes. And so on. you see, he was like in the Wizard of Oz. He was legally, really, visually <laughs> dead. Uh, and I think the, the that this might, it sort of sounds to me like John is trying to refute the idea, yeah, Jesus escaped crucifixion and he did go elsewhere uh, and uh, that uh, maybe it was Odessa because the deja vu, I thought, wait a minute, it's like the uh, the thing where in Eusebius where uh, the king sends uh, messengers with a letter to Jesus saying, I know it's getting hot for you there. Why don't you come down with me? I'll give you uh, refuge. You don't have to worry. Uh, and the, of course, John is going to, well, he he has to have him turn it down because the dogma says Jesus was crucified, right? But it makes me wonder if this was not an attempt to refute the idea that uh, Abgarus invited him to come to safety, and he did. Uh, and uh, it just seemed kind of odd. Why is there no response? Well, because he wanted to eliminate the response that Jesus actually did give him. Thanks, don't mind if I do. Now, obviously, I'm just speculating. Well, I mentioned this to Ralph, and he said, well, I already said that years ago. <laughs> Can't beat <Yes>. this. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I was beaten to the punch as well, because um, I found a reference, and I think it was from Moses of Corinne, said exactly the same thing. Wow. And that was back in the 7th right. century. <laughs> mm. So uh, a lot of people have known these similarities for a long, long time. There's been an undercurrent of uh, understanding. Um, for people who don't know this, this comes from John 12, 20, uh, when it says that certain Greeks came down to worship at the feast. Um, so again, we get these you know, ambassadors or disciples um, going backwards and forwards, or angels, you might say, yeah, because right. some people don't realize that angels are just ambassador. It's just another name for an ambassador um, going backwards and forwards. Um, and so, yeah, so perhaps because of this similarity, we might talk about the Council of Jerusalem because that is the same sort of story. Um, so, again, people who don't know the Council of Jerusalem, again, we have um, ambassadors shuttling backwards and forwards from Antioch to Jerusalem. So we've got uh, the Church of J Jesus and James down in Jerusalem, and they're trying to convert uh, the people of Antioch. And there is a dispute as to what type of Judaism do they want. Do they want the Nazarene Judaism of Jesus and James, or do they want Judaism light as being peddled by Saul, St. Paul? And of course, this, this all centers around 
um, I was going to say castration there. Well, it might be, but no, no ostensibly it's about uh, circumcision. Uh, should they get circumcised? And of course, Church of Jesus and James in initially is saying, yes, they should. And Saul is saying, no, they shouldn't. Um, and so we get this similarity in at least three places. Um, we have the conversion of the Adiabeni royal family with Ananias going up to Adiabeni and trying to convert them to Judaism. Uh, and he is the uh, moderate trying to convert them to Judaism light, saying you don't have to be circumcised. And then Elizar goes up to Adiabeni and says, no, you've got to be, um, you've got to be circumcised. And of course the queen uh, who is Queen Helena, of course, is saying, well, yeah, maybe you shouldn't be do th doing this because you might lose the entire, um, uh, the entire kingdom if your people you know, don't want you converting to this Judaism. We might lose the entire kingdom. Uh, and that is all about Adiabeni. So that's from the works of Josephus. Um, then we have... Um, from Acts of the Apostles, um, and the same is happening, but instead of going to Adiabeni, they're going up uh, and down to Antioch, trying to convert the people of Antioch. Um, and also we've got the doctrine of Adi with people going backwards and forwards. And of course, there is a similarity there because the king is infirm. He has an ailment, mm. and I think the ailment may be castration or circumcision, a bit like the maimed king. So we have at least three mentions of this event, and they start to coalesce because in Acts of the Apostles, they're going to and from Antioch. But Edessa was called Antioch Edessa. So maybe they weren't going to Antioch at all, Antioch on the Mediterranean coast. Maybe they were going to Edessa. Maybe the Council of Jerusalem in Acts of the Apostles is all about Edessa. And then in Joseph, the works of Josephus, they're going to and from Adiabeni um, to convert the, uh, uh, the royal family of Adiabeni. But of course, the queen of Adiabeni was married to the king of Edessa. So again, maybe they weren't going to Adiabeni at all. Maybe this was all about Edessa and the conversion of the royal family of Edessa to Judaism. And of course, we know they converted to Judaism because Queen Helena of Adiabeni Edessa converted to Nazarene Judaism. And they might well have considered that this was a dangerous move, that they might lose the kingdom, because in the works of Josephus, this actually precipitated a war. And there was a war with Emesa. Um, now, Emesa is like Damascus, modern Damascus. It's Homs and Hammer um, down by Damascus. There was a separate kingdom down there called Emesa. So we have Edessa and Emesa, <laughs> two different kingdoms. And this conversion uh, in the works of Josephus caused a war between these two kingdoms. 
So, yeah, they might have lost the kingdom through this conversion to Judaism. It was a very contentious uh, aspect. So the question then to, to the team, as it were, is, is the Council of Jerusalem the same as Josephus Flavius talking about the conversion of the kingdom of Adiabene, Edessa? Is that the same story? I'll let Bob field it. <laughs> <Ditto. laughs> well, yeah, I wanted to say what's interesting. You talked about the painting of Jesus. Uh, I know historically it was, uh, they said it was Carpocrates who had the one and only painting of Jesus Christ in the second century. I don't know. I'm just throwing it out there that it's interesting that the, the painting of Jesus thing. Yeah, the painting of Jesus was the Mandyline, and it, it was supposed to be stored in the gates of Edessa. Mm -hmm. from the first century onwards so yeah that's a very I wonder how, old... how it got the carper crates in the second century it's interesting yeah i don't know yeah, well <laughs> there you go also... another rabbit hole <laughs> wasn't there another jesus sitting for a portrait you know <laughs> yeah. a little bit a little bit this way jesus you know <laughs> <laughs> uh, isn't there some report that Pilate had I, I, this obviously seems fake but that that uh, Pilate circulated a, a kind of a you know, police uh, composite sketch artist uh, portrait of Jesus as a kind of wanted poster. Wanted, I'm, uh, I'm not buying it, but I, isn't that an ancient claim? I don't know. It was like, instead I, of a I milk carton, it was an olive oil carton or something. He put it on. <laughs> I, I, I think I can find it. I read that in one of the books about the shroud image, uh, but I, I forget what the connection was. It, it didn't strike me as being particularly believable. Uh, the uh, with the Council of Jerusalem, that strikes me as as I've always thought of that as a kind of a, a after the fact thing that it's a creation of of Luke uh, to try to uh, give a false apostolic um, authorization of a slate of. Um, measures that that might uh solve problems in his own day because it's like no in galatians for instance there's no reference made to this uh and uh, it's still like eating the food offered to idols that's uh, still an issue in uh in first corinthians in fact you have both sides of it attributed to Paul, one chapter after another, the book of Revelation, Justin Martyr, it, it wasn't settled uh, in in on into the second century, which makes me think that, uh, and this is not original to me, that uh, the, the Council of Jerusalem may itself be a product of the, uh, of the second century. It's just like uh, the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where was it? True that Jesus, in his parting words, made it clear, go out into all the nations and so forth. Uh, when uh, you've got Acts 10 and 11, where they, they think the Jerusalem elders think Peter's lost his mind to go preach to Gentiles. How is that possible? Uh, if, if Jesus had really said this, well, it's obvious somebody's trying to pull ranks to settle the issue much later by saying, oh, yeah, Jesus himself dealt with this. He, he did? Oh, okay. Then. So I'm, I'm not sure there ever even was such a council, but maybe there was, and this is, it's been repurposed in this story. Uh, that's quite likely. I, 
I, I think there quite possibly was because this was the turning point at which point uh, Saul became the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. So Saul was trying to, on his first evangelical tour, he was trying to evangelize for the um, Church of Jesus and James, the Nazarene Church. And of course, they were limited to evangelizing to Jews because this was a Jewish sect. Okay, it was a different sect, and they were trying to convert Jews into Nazarene Judaism, which I sort of call Egypto-Judaism because I think there's a lot of Egyptian elements in there. There's the the sign of the Zodiac and uh, all of that sort of business is in Nazarene Judaism, not in classical Judaism. Hmm. But Saul wanted to go off and... Uh, become the uh, uh, apostle to the Gentiles. He wanted to preach simple Judaism, which at the Council of Jerusalem, he was given permission uh, by, um, uh, by, by James to do so. So he was given the four simple rules of simple Judaism, which was um, don't eat meat uh, sacrificed to idols, don't drink blood, um, <laughs> which so you you can't be a Christian. Don't drink blood, um, and uh, vampires are out. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, don't indulge in fornication, which normally means um, don't. Um, um, what am I thinking of? Um, don't have sexual relations within your family. That's what it normally means. They don't marry you your cousin, for example. Yeah, all that oh, sort of okay. stuff. Um, they were the four rules of uh, simple Judaism, which Saul then took around uh, the Mediterranean on his second tour when he became the uh, apostle to the Gentiles. Now, that was a major split between the Nazarene church and what became Christianity. And it, it would seem likely that Saul would have got permission in order to do that, i.e. he went to James and said, look, can I teach um, all of this to the Gentiles? Because there are more Gentiles out there than there are Jews, and they, they seem really interested in this, you know, and we could do quite well from this. Of course, Saul just wanted the money, basically, um, and he saw there was an awful lot more Gentiles to put in his collecting plate than, than there were Jews, and they were more interested. And so he went out to preach to the Gentiles, and lo and behold, he made what I call simple Judaism, which became Christianity. It's, it's Judaism light. Um, and so I think the uh, Council of Jerusalem was a real event. It was a, a fundamental dividing point at which Nazarene Judaism split off from what became Christianity. And of course, it was Nazarene Judaism that died. Firstly, because it, it, it couldn't evangelize to too many people. There was a limited number of Jews that it could evangelize to. Secondly, because it indulged itself uh, in, in a Jewish revolt against Rome. And so all of the persecution of the Rome uh, after the Jewish revolt was against the Nazarene. I don't think that persecution was really against the simple uh, Judaism of Saul because that was pro-Roman. <laughs> You've only got to read Saul to see that Saul was, was pretty much pro-Roman. Mm -hmm. And therefore the Romans thought, well, this is really good. You know, if, if we want to destroy messianic Judaism, you know, the uh, revolutionary Judaism, the perfect 
vehicle for doing this is Saul's simple Judaism because it's Rome friendly, uh, which is why I think they got a leg up from Vespasian and actually got promoted. And it was the church of Jesus and James that was being oppressed. Um, but the, 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 the central point still is, was that, was that split? Was that council of Jerusalem? Was that, um, the ambassadors running backwards and forwards to this Royal family? Was that the same as Josephus is reporting with the ambassadors going backwards and forwards to Adiabene, remembering that Queen Helena was the queen of Adiabene and she was married to the king of Edessa. Um, I think that's all one story that's been told three or four times, maybe even four times, because we have, we have a very similar story in Arthurian legend where the, the king... Um, because he is castrated, because he is wounded between the thighs and becomes the wounded king, because of that, the land becomes a wasteland. Mm -hmm. It's exactly the same as the fears of Queen Helena, that if you get uh, circumcised or castrated, whatever it was, that we will lose the kingdom, which hmm. is given in the works of Josephus Flavius. It sounds like exactly the same story of this royal family converting to Nazarene Judaism and wondering if this is a good move or not, you know, shall we convert to Judaism light or shall we convert to Messianic Nazarene Judaism? That is the choice. <laughs> and of course the prince or the king of, uh, yeah, no, he was a king at that time. Um, king Isus Manu actually changed to Nazarene Judaism. He got castrated. Uh, sorry, he got um, circumcised. But I do wonder when they're talking about circumcision, if they're talking about castration. You're mm. never, never quite sure on that. And there you have it. Ralph and Bob making it rain gnosis. Hallelujah. The second part continues with the liberating heresy. And my guests really get into the idea of canceling cancel culture. Please support this Red Pill Cafeteria for the second part, or if you find any value in the content. There are many ways to sub and many ways to support, and one that will fit your needs or budget. If you need any help with any of the choices, just let me know. And certainly join us for Astronosis on June 23rd and 24th. The real Gnosis happens when we finally get to meet and share personal revelations. Trust me on that. Thanks for being here. Thanks for being yourself, your true self, here in the desert of the real. Hello and goodbye, as always. <laughs>